to a new episode of Funboat Diplomacy, recording now from no matter what co-working space in near Chinatown in San Francisco, and I'm here with Richard Chan. Uh, hello, Richard. Thanks for being on. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit to the podcast audience? Yeah, that would be great. Uh, so I'm from Venezuela. My name is Richard Chan, and then I was raised in Venezuela for 18 years. Once I finished high school there, I came to the U.S. just because the opportunity for a college graduate was better here than in, in my home, hometown. And then my parents decided, yeah, that would be a good opportunity to come here. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they had some like friends or family that were already in San Francisco. And I bought my tickets with my younger brother and then we settled down here. And then I've been uh, I've been here ever since. And what do you do now? I work at a tech company, which uh, sells software to our enterprises in the Silicon Valley. And what kind of software is it? Just all kinds of. It's uh yeah all kinds of well it's a mainly a quote to cash uh, process where they uh, build applications on Salesforce, and then it's uh, quoting, contracting, and uh, revenue management. Mm-hmm. But that's not like that gets really technical. <laughs> yeah, that gets really technical. I, I do marketing operations, which is uh, like, like okay, the, la- the, the not technical part. Yeah, I well, understand. it's it's so technical. Technical in that way. Yeah, but not in the not in the coding way. Yeah, I guess I don't know if you know any coding. Maybe you dabbled in it, but when it comes to coding, mm-hmm. that's when my eyes glaze over, and I don't I I don't uh, I can't process that information, mm-hmm. and so I just turn off and um, I don't pay attention when it comes to computers and things like that. <laughs> but yeah, cool. Um, I know very little about Venezuela. I don't yeah. know about my listeners, but any sort of information would be really, really interesting to me. So what do you think would be uh, Well, cool Venez- to know? Venezuela is a beautiful place. Uh, I'm really glad and I appreciate that my parents moved there uh, and raised me there because and the culture, the people, and the food, everything is really amazing. Uh, unfortunately, we have a government that is very, uh, uh, I'll say, di- dictatorship right now. Mm-hmm. And then and the political, social, economical, and the entire country situation right now is very sad. And it's been like the worst since like in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. But growing up there, it was uh, really cool because I got to just go out and play with my friends, like play soccer, do all kinds of sports. So I went from like basketball, soccer, uh, volleyball, skateboarding, BMX, like mm. everything you can imagine. I, I did it there. Sweet. So and yeah, it was a really fun place. And um, then, uh, there, of course, like a lot of beautiful women. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's all of South America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, what's the timeline? If you could give a brief timeline of what you're talking about, all the dictatorship. I know very, very roughly, um, very, very roughly what happened. But if you could give sort of a chronology of, I don't, I don't know when is the best time to start, but whatever you think. Well, the first memory I, I have from the political situation mm-hmm. was in uh, 1999. As you remember, mm-hmm. when I was like a, probably uh, 11 or yeah, around 11. Mm-hmm. And then I went to play soccer 
and that was election day mm -hmm. for a new president. And then this guy, Hugo Chavez, got elected. And from there on, everything started to go like downward. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was a transition from a government that was uh, mostly uh, associated with middle and upper class. And then uh, by the time Hugo Chavez won the election, it was because there was a social problem that the poor was getting poorer, more poor. Mm -hmm. And then when he got into power, he had all these social programs that uh, were about to help the poor, the poor people and to, to be middle class or to get to that transition. But in that process, uh, it didn't work because the people that, was, that were surrounding Hugo Chavez were more corrupted than him. Uh, so instead of building really good social programs, they were uh, getting all the money for themselves. And, um, the, and there was more crime, there was more people, of course, dead. Some numbers are like, uh, in the past 15, ye 15 years, there has been over 250,000 uh, people dead and there's no civil war, there's nothing like, there's no war going on inside the country. It's just mainly because of uh, delinquency or uh, crime. Mm -hmm. um, so how is he viewed um, in Venezuela from the people? Well, from the middle class, some people like him, some people didn't like him. The upper class, of course, didn't like him. Because it's just taking money from them, giving it to... Yeah, and because he wasn't uh, taking away a lot of properties mm -hmm. just because he wanted to build uh, houses for poor people in those properties. And just He wanted to take away properties from the rich to give that land to the poor people. But from the poor people, he's like God. Yeah, because like, they got all this free stuff. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he gave so much money away on, on these programs, like free money for the poor people. So instead of making them more productive, better, and, and rise to the middle class, they, his government made the poor people even poorer and uh, like lazy, more lazy, mm -hmm. mm, inefficient reliance reliance on the, on the on the, the government. Guess, handouts from the government yeah yeah so from an objective standpoint i feel like i feel like we can say that it's not such a successful model i don't know what you think yeah i don't think it's because from what you're model. saying it's yeah. it's it's making the rich people who were happy before um not happy and then the poor people more poor yeah yeah so this is generally, I guess, what happens in, uh, I guess, socialist uh, Yeah, socialist, yeah, communism. Yeah, so objectively, I guess it's bad. Um, mm -hmm. I would say it's bad. And that's, uh, have, you been, have you been following Bernie Sanders, um, his campaign in the mm, United States? No, I haven't. What's going so on? So he, uh, he calls himself a socialist, mm -hmm. but, uh, and people really love it, especially college students. College students really love free things, and what what scares me is exactly what you're saying is mm -hmm. maybe he is a really uh, great person and he has best the best intentions, but when you give 
when you make government big and you make government powerful and you try to accumulate a bunch of money and try to distribute it to, let's say, poor people. I'm not going to say all poor people in the United States because college students getting free college, is he, well, that's one of his big things is free college tuition. Um, so they're not poor kids by any, they're, they're students who got accepted into college. Um, some of them might be poor, but uh, like you said, um, the money gets collected, goes up to the top, and then the people who are supposed to distribute it, mm -hmm. are, there's a bit of corruption, so they put a bit of money in their pockets. And mm -hmm. eventually, eventually it's just, you're paying the government to do not such a great service for, yeah. for the people. So, yeah, and I think that happens a lot in politics. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, it's, a, it's a, a pretty dirty war in, in the political situation because mm -hmm. even though you see people working really hard as in the, poli the politics, mm -hmm. uh, they are like, they are pretty corrupted. Mm -hmm. But in some countries, you see more just because of the social and, and economic so uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And then just let me finish uh, with this transition of like uh, the Venezuelan government. Yeah. So after uh, 1999, he got elected, he built all these social programs, everything was like uh, okay until 2008, 2009, when the money got, uh, the economic situation got even worse, mm -hmm. the inflation got like over 100% every year. Whoa. And then uh, the the market for for dollars because there is a black market since the government has like control over who can who can get or who has control or who can get some uh, like dollars from in the in the government market, which is very little people, and then there's a black market which. Is like hundred times the official rate of the government, mm -hmm. and then uh, from that uh, all the way until like 2012, uh, it was like de declining. The government was getting worse. The people were getting more uh, poorer, and then th this guy Hugo Chavez passed away in December of 2012, mm -hmm. and then there were elections, so. This guy, before he passed away, he elected, like, pointed another guy, like, hey, nah, you guys, the, the, the nation should not elect this guy because he is my, like, he's my godson or, mm. kind of, like, you know, Related. This is my, he's my guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is my recommendation. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of. Mm -hmm. And then... When the country had elections uh, during 2012, and then he won, the government uh, party won for less than 1%, which is mm. super weird. And then when there's a quote by the, I think the one of the Mexican former presidents that says, if the government party wins an election for less than 1%, it's because there has been some corruption. And then, in this case, of course, it, there was... I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, well, right now, in like less than two weeks, we have elections um, 
in Venezuela, and there's like a big chance that the country will uh, will change. Is this for for parliament or for president? This for parliament. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, can you describe the political landscape of Venezuela? So, how many different are there different parties? Oh well, there are like probably more than twenty parties. And they all have they they all have seats in the parliament. Uh, Well, it's mainly like there's so there's opposition and there's the government party uh-huh. and uh, inside the government parties the government party there are like a bunch of small parties mm-hmm. and then inside the opposition there are of course uh, small parties as well as well and the reason there's like one main party inside the opposition is that it's for people to vote for one uh, for one symbol or one party instead of li- very little so that they have a bigger chance of winning the elections mm. but right now it's uh yeah mainly government which is a so- socialist uh, party of venezuela and the opposition which is the uh, unity party of venezuela okay and what does that party stand for mostly uh the yeah. unity one yeah it's a, it's just a bunch of opposition parties opposing the socialists. Yeah, who are, who agreed upon having one main party, so they can, they have a bigger chance of winning elections. Mm, okay. Um, it's all political, so. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, but uh, how's the spectrum in Venezuela? Is it mostly shifted towards the left or? Um, it was a right right wing uh, before before yeah. before nineteen ninety nine mm-hmm. and then mm, right now it's like well if we talk about the past sixteen years it's been less left wing but uh, right now like the I think the numbers the poll is like eighty percent for the opposition and versus twenty percent of the for the government which is a big decline from like. Mm, from three years ago, which mm-hmm. was like 50-50, or it, w- it was pretty equal. And uh, what, what do you think the, the direction will go? If it's 80% opposition, then it yeah, sounds I, like um, it'll go that direction. But you're telling me there's a lot of corruption. So yeah. where, where might this go? Uh, it might go any, anyway, because... <laughs> because uh, let, hold on, let me tell you something. So you know, uh, the government should have like a, should have like a, the every power should be separate from the uh, government, right? Mm. So right now that's not happening. So uh, the the justice power, the parliament, everything is like for the government. From the government, these guys are super corrupted. And I don't want to get into more details because, like, we can talk for yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I hope it goes the other way, like, the opposition wins. So there's hope for, for change because uh, I really want to go back and, like, you know, be re- reunited with my family, with friends, and enjoy life back in Venezuela. You're able to go back, though, right? Yeah, I, I'm able to go back, but the situation is pretty bad, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, right after when uh, the sun sets, don't go outside. Don't go outside. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking and to. If, yeah. I was just talking to my friends from Brazil, and they're telling me in Rio, it's yeah. 
it's not it, it's more safe now but mm-hmm. it has this same feeling of a uh, little bit of danger when you go outside so that's I don't ever feel that around here in America even though everyone has guns I don't know do people have guns in Venezuela uh, yeah 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 but it's, it's a, but is it legal it's not uh, you can get a license. Oh, okay. But uh, most people so it's by illegal. Judge have illegal guns, mostly like uh, Great. yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's uh, not as safe. <laughs> yeah. Um. But growing up, how was it? Growing up was uh, fantastic. Like uh, all this time, uh, when I was in high school, it was pretty cool because uh, I didn't feel the situation as much, and then. My parents didn't feel it as, uh, uh, either because uh, I was able to go out and come back anytime, mm-hmm. even through midnight. And then I was, I felt pretty safe. And uh, besides the, like safety issues, I had all my friends there. So I was hanging out with like mostly Venezuelan people. Mm-hmm. So they consider me one of them or mm-hmm. that's, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, you, but you're from, your family is from? My family is from uh, China, the southern part of China, Guangzhou, uh-huh. and then Hong Kong. Uh-huh. And then they moved to Venezuela in the 70s. Okay, do you know why? Uh, it was mainly because of uh, the situation in Hong Kong. Mm. And then my family had some business in Hong Kong. So uh, when that happened, uh, my grandparents decided to look for opportunities outside of Hong Kong. And then my grandma had family in Venezuela and so it was an easy transition to like hey just come to come to Venezuela and you can set up your business here and the mm, the business environment the social environment all the situation like economic social it was perfect for business like for startups or building your business and then my grandparents moved there moved entire company and that's how I my my dad ended up there mm-hmm. and what was the situation in Hong Kong that they were leaving from uh, I guess like uh, either political or uh, uh, or like business wise like uh, the market was crashing oh, okay I'm okay. not like completely sure yeah I don't know so much about that time I just know the movies from that time are pretty cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's a different story um, so what was it like growing up as uh, an Asian in Venezuela? That's I don't I don't not a lot of people get the opportunity to to yeah. learn about that. So how was that? Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting because for some people, some Asian people in Venezuela, they didn't get they didn't hang out as much with Venezuelans. Mm-hmm. So they were like separated and then there was a lot a little bit of like a, i wouldn't say fight or argument there's some tension yeah tensions like they will call you in china which is in chinese mm-hmm. uh, so i've been called that too yeah like <laughs> well but they called they call you china in a way that is uh, like so friendly effective. or sometimes more like a default name for all of the asian population mm-hmm. there because they will say like, oh, your name is pretty difficult, so I'll just call you Chino. <laughs> but uh, I felt pretty respected by all my friends because uh, I, like 90% of my friends in Venezuela are Venezuelans. 
so they'll respect me and they will always call me like by my name by Richard and like uh, I think also because I was so involved in like uh, high school uh, activities and like soccer I play soccer all my uh, all my life until I graduated from high school and then people uh, I think my friends saw me as a pretty good player and then from there I gained more respect mm. and how many what's the population of I guess Asian people in, in Venezuela are there a lot or I know in Peru there are a lot mm -hmm. allegedly I think there are but what is it like in Venezuela? Yeah, uh, Peru has pretty big uh, Chinese or Asian population yeah. as well as uh, like Brazil has yeah. a, the biggest Japanese community outside of Japan mm -hmm. and Venezuela has something similar like a Chinese community like uh, you know almost every Chinese person in uh, in your city just because there's one like there's a downtown area where most of the businesses are owned by either Chinese uh, Middle East people or some European people mm -hmm. and then there's also a Chinese community center mm -hmm. where most of the Asian people go so it's kind of like here those different pockets yeah but uh, here's like you get all this mix in in San Francisco where it's not only like either Chinese Korean or Japanese you get like a melting pot mm -hmm. of uh, every every kind of Asian yeah so for example in Venezuela then the areas that are that have Chinese businesses it would be mostly just Chinese people in there and not mixing that much with uh, other people uh, do you mean like as in getting married and no meaning like a Venezuelan coming into a into a Chinese shop and buying things or something like that because you're saying it's much more mixed here oh no yeah no like uh, so Venez um, Chinese people own, I'll say, let's say thirty-three percent of the uh, businesses, and then Venezuelan people go and they buy stuff from them. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the the community is, would you say, it's well integrated? I'll say like it's getting more integrated now mm -hmm. because it's uh, so it's more like second generation that the third yeah. generation is getting more. Uh, towards the Venezuelan side of them. Yeah, they're learning the language, they're going yeah. to school together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas when I grew up, they were like uh, first or second generation, and then they were not as integrated mm -hmm. as probably I or some of my brothers were. Yeah, and first generation tends to they stick together, yeah. work really hard, and then the next generation comes and becomes more well integrated. Yeah. At least that's my, my story, I think. <laughs> No, like here in uh, the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents, still, they they don't really interact so much with Americans. Mm -hmm. when they have to, but they have a Chinese community mm -hmm. uh, affiliated with the church, and uh, that's their main uh, group. That's their community. But for me, I, I don't feel as much part of that as I am just the general American. Uh, I don't know, yeah, the, the American nation. Just mm -hmm. I can go. I I feel American. I go to uh, anywhere. I go to uh, like bars or go mm -hmm. to the theater or whatever, and I feel like I'm just part of everybody else. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, it's sometimes like a way of thinking in mindset of uh, your parents. It's like, oh, so these people think uh, similar than how we think, mm. and then it's easier to have a conversation or hang out with them more often. Yeah, it also has to do with the language. They never. My my dad knows just a little bit of English. It's not great, but my mom knows pretty much zero. English and it's remained that way for like 20 years they just didn't feel like uh, the, the need or maybe they didn't feel comfortable speaking it or something like that I don't know do your parents speak Spanish yeah they learned the hard yeah. way which is uh, just going going and working and they, uh, talking with people mm -hmm. reading uh, magazines mm -hmm. newspapers every day and then uh, I think my mom got into classes for it's like Spanish classes, mm -hmm. but uh, it's all, it's pretty difficult when you go to a new country when you're like uh, mid twenties or uh, late twenties, mm -hmm. and then you have to catch up on that speed of language or uh, do it all by yourself, mm -hmm. which is not impossible, but it's more difficult than how we we have it right now, which. Uh, uh, so I when I came here, I didn't speak any English. Really? So, yeah. Well, that's crazy. Wait, how how long ago was this? Uh, like seven, eight years. Okay, so you've had seven, eight years to. Yeah. Okay. To try to master it, <laughs> but I haven't. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's, it's very good. Um, but do they teach English in school in Venezuela? Yeah, they teach English in high school. Is it done well though? And yeah, I think it's a pretty good ed okay. education. Okay. Uh -huh. But I, I just wasn't much into like languages. learning languages mm. or or into high school at all. Got it. Yeah. School sucks anyway. Yeah, it's just like I'll make my parents feel proud. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they really strict about getting good grades? Not really. They, they were just cool. like super I think uh, they understood chill. that they're like, okay, that's school is an abstraction. <laughs> the real stuff is when you start actually doing work and doing adult life things or actually they were more like uh, do something that makes you happy i think that's the main purpose for them to like nah, their life and uh, for their children life mm -hmm. which is like uh, oh yeah do whatever makes you happy comfortable and um, as long as you like it that's yeah, good for us as long as you like it, you have enough food to eat have yeah. some place to mm -hmm. stay you're good that's interesting because that's how my parents think but i don't i still pressure myself sometimes um to to i guess pursue that 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 i think is the american um society mm -hmm. pressuring me not exactly my parents i think i feel it a little bit from my parents but uh the pressure i think is an american society thing when i was living in portugal oh, i don't i didn't give two shits i i i uh, everybody else was lazy so i would just go to the beach and hang out and not do anything either <laughs> But now I'm here. Everyone's working around me. I, I think I should do something. So yeah, you yeah. feel the stress, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not, it's not great. But well, it, you gotta think of, you gotta re reflect upon it and internalize, um, and take what you need to be happy, and um, also, I'm not gonna say productive, but do something, not yeah. just. Not just hang out on the beach all day like I was doing. <laughs> Wishing that would be like a good life. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. But then you then that's why I picked up this project. Mm -hmm. or I started this project and um, 
wrote a lot and then I started writing music just because I needed to produce something. Can't just be soaking up sunlight all day. Oh yeah, talking about music, I I took a picture of you when you were when we were at the housewarming party. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I posted on my Instagram. Oh yeah. Yeah, I can share it with you later. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. I actually I didn't know anyone was taking pictures. <laughs> you were super into your your guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that song. I played Gloria. Uh, do you know that song? Did you hear that before? Mm, I don't remember which one. You it's. Uh, I guess you don't know the song, uh, but it's a. Uh, it's that album is forty years old this year. Um, and I saw her. I saw Patti Smith play it while I was in Portugal. Mm-hmm. She was playing a festival in Porto, and uh, I saw her live. I was about maybe twenty feet away from her, and oh. she. Uh, I almost cried. It was <laughs> it was so beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. How did you pick up my guitar? I uh, I learned. I took lessons in high school for two years. I was mainly a drummer, though, at my music school in high school. But when I went to college, I couldn't carry around a drum set, you know? It's, that's hard Why to not? take. I, I eventually <laughs> did. I eventually did my last year of college. But um, but uh, for my first couple of years and everything, uh, um, there wasn't so many opportunities to practice drums, so I practiced guitar more. And then now my guitar playing is not that good. But it's better than my drumming, I think, and I have continued singing the whole time. So, you yeah, I think as long as you can like pick up the guitar and play some songs, yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's one of those instruments you can't you can't carry around a piano, you can't carry around oh, yeah. a drum set all the time. So, it's just a portable instrument, and it's not a ukulele. Ukuleles, I think, are not always appropriate. <laughs> Some, they're just too happy sometimes. You, oh, right. <laughs> I can't play sad songs on a ukulele, and that's all I play. I real I realize that from time to time. And the other day, um, I was hanging out with people, and I said, "Oh man, the only songs I know are sad songs. I don't know why. I'm not that sad of a person. I just think that sad songs are really, really nice." Yeah, they some of them are pretty beautiful. Yeah, so, they have nice lyrics. Yeah, and those are the songs that I choose to learn. Some, and I know maybe. The proportion would maybe be one in like twelve, one in twelve of my, the songs that I know are happy, and then the rest are <laughs> not happy songs. And but they keep going nostalgic or something. Something like that, maybe I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I've been listening to John Major for the past probably months. I don't know. I've. I don't know so much about his music, mm-hmm. but I, and most people that I associate with, I guess wouldn't like him as much but i've seen him play uh crossroads by eric clapton do you know the song mm-hmm. yeah i think I've and it's like a blues song time. and yeah. uh it's, it's pretty do you good like it? yeah yeah mm-hmm. that, but that's the only song i know by him yeah he has some pretty interesting music and like it's about love and whatever it's mm-hmm. life and sometimes like uh, more towards the nostalgic or uh, love and sad life uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm sad or something. Yeah, it's just yeah. like I can relate and then uh, it's just like good music that you yeah, listen good to. Good music is good yeah. music. Yeah, so. Uh, so you, you told me you went to like Portugal and like Germany. Yeah, so. yeah that's. Yeah, uh, 
You've been explaining I, that a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like people listening to podcasts are already like, they know your story. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you... they do. Well, the, see, I could explain it a little bit. It's, it's, uh, so when I went to college, the intention of studying, so I studied history, military history, and then picked up political science. And the intention of doing those two things, being so close to D.C., and also doing internships with uh, related to that was to eventually go on and work for the government, um, which is what a lot of people want to do in D.C. when they go to school there. But um, under the surface was I was studying German, and then I uh, I kept sticking with German throughout college, and it uh, ended up wanting to study in Berlin for my final semester. I planned it all out from the beginning. And uh, I said, okay, cool. I'm going to go study in Berlin. That'll be really cool. And then I'll come back to DC and get a job in the government. And that's my career. Um, but then I went to Germany and uh, I had to throw that all out the window because then I um, realized... Like Bef before that, even, I was realizing how... Long story short, how uh, unagreeable, I, how much I disagreed with the government. Mm -hmm. For example, I, the the summer before I went to um, before I went to Germany, I was working for the Department of Defense, and that's when Edward Snowden came out with his uh, when he was like, releasing his documents and things. And so while I was working for the Department of Defense, on the 4th of July, I went to an anti-NSA rally in mm -hmm. D.C. And just, uh, I really disagreed with a lot of things. And the more I learned about the government, the less I wanted to be associated with this. Uh, I don't want to say evil, because that's like mm -hmm. a really harsh word. But I really don't like government, especially the United States government. And especially how big the government has been. I don't know if you've ever been to DC. I haven't, but I'm planning to go. I have some friends like uh, living there and then studying around uh, at Georgetown. Georgetown. So that's um, a great area if you get it? to go there. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, so this Venezuelan friend who I met here mm -hmm. is studying her master's degree in Georgetown, and then I'm planning to visit probably next year around this this time. Mm -hmm. yeah, so if you go to the government buildings, they're all over DC, you'll see them. One of the things that struck me was how how big the Department of Agriculture was. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's on the National Mall and it's massive. It's not only one block, it's, it's giant, ugly, gray buildings. Like if this is the National Mall, mm -hmm. it's like it's like this and then the next block over and the car is about that big and you're just walking. That's so many offices, all of them getting paid, and um, that's how big our government is. To take care of something like agriculture, it's important, mm -hmm. but seeing as how the food is in America is pretty shitty, and um, like, what do you got? We have a lot of people. We're paying a lot of people out of our tax dollars to 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 fix this, or not fix it, just take care of our food. How come our food is shitty? So, the same thing goes for everything, like the, the Department of Defense, the Pentagon. What's yeah. your job? Oh, to keep the United States safe, or the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. Okay, then 
what, what do we pay you for when we still have to sink uh, billions and trillions of dollars um, to, to, to blow up people in other countries? So I think uh, I, didn't, I just didn't agree with that. And then I had to go, go back to Europe Re after. Yeah. Uh, so I came home. It was really shitty because I came, came home and nobody was different. Uh, I had totally changed and I came back to the United States and everything was business as usual. So I said, mm -hmm. okay, I need to take more time in Europe. So I go, I go back, go back for four months, my visa runs out <laughs> and then I come back and then I get accepted to a master's degree in Portugal. Mm -hmm. So I was like, cool, I'm going back again. I do that and then I end up not liking the master's degree. So I quit my master's degree and ended up working at a hostel as a bartender in Lisbon. And then I did that for five months. Got in touch with a startup. Went to Berlin to work for a month for them. And then, mm -hmm. then eventually ended up here in San Francisco. So that's my life story for those of you in the audience who didn't know. <laughs> my life story in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You have a lot of traveling too. Yeah, I've... Uh, yeah, I've... After I got into college here, I mm, decided to go to Hong Kong. So the story begins that when I got into college around 2008, and then... Which university did you go to? Uh, I went to uh, City College of San Francisco first mm -hmm. for just like two years before transferring to like a uh, CSU, which mm -hmm. is like California State University or UC. Mm -hmm. And then I... Mm, by the summer of 2009, I went to Hong Kong and then China with my dad and my brother. So I went to Hong Kong for six days mm -hmm. and then the two two weeks in China. I was just like amazed by Hong Kong and how uh, how much energy the city had. So when I came back to, to San Francisco, I was thinking, oh, maybe there's a possibility of going to Hong Kong for a semester or, or a year to mm -hmm. study and live there and then once I, I was here already I had that thinking and then uh, like the dots connected like I met another friend of my friend that went to uh, to City University of Hong Kong for a year and then he was at this program uh, at Uni uh, San Francisco State University mm -hmm. so the main purpose of transferring uh, from City College of San Francisco to SF State was to get into that exchange program. So uh, around 2012, I got into SF State, and then in, I applied for for the exchange program and got accepted. Got all my like all my scholarships mm -hmm. ready. Mm -hmm. So by 2013, around summer or for for the fall semester i i went to hong kong for a year mm. and stayed there for from august 2013 until june 2014 so that's like that seems pretty short but it was long at the same time one year yeah around one year yeah. it was uh, pretty fun uh, the city has so much to offer like mm -hmm. uh, you I, I personally would never get tired of going back to Hong Kong just because of like food or not so much shopping because you can do shopping anywhere, but it's just the environment and the positive energy you get from there.
also like transportation which is a mm. big thing for me mm. i love like uh, that i can get from one place to another uh, really quick and convenient mm. um do you speak uh language or did you just yeah what do you speak i speak spanish which is my uh, first language mm -hmm. and then english a little bit and, <laughs> and then Cantonese. Cantonese. Okay. So when I was when I was in Hong Kong, I got to practice more my Cantonese. Yeah. And then, but if you don't speak a can, any Cantonese, you can still get by because uh, the signs are in English. Yeah. And then a lot of people know English, and uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to get by using English. Mm -hmm. So you don't know Mandarin? No, I don't. But uh, I'm planning to learn. I've been saying this for like the past probably two years okay but uh my 2016 goal one of probably three or five is to learn uh conversational mandarin it's not easy uh well i think from cantonese it, i think you can you can finagle something but yeah i think going from cantonese to mandarin it's easier than going from Mandarin to Cantonese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Mandarin only has like four or five tones. How many does Cantonese have? Like nine to twelve. Okay. So I know that Taiwanese has eight. Yeah. So I, I think it's easier the other way around, whatever whatever um, dialect you're going from. To Mandarin? Yeah. Can you write at all? No. No. I can't I can't write read or write and yeah. it's pretty shitty. Uh yeah sometimes. But as long as you can like and talk to people and ask questions. Mm -hmm. I think that's a uh, very useful already. Mm -hmm. And where where else did you go in China? Well, nah. Well, maybe it's Kong a, maybe it's a, a really really long list. But yeah, it's a, what's it's a what's some highlights? Long. Maybe everything uh, was a highlight, and uh, we're just gonna <laughs> go on for the rest of the day. But yeah, yeah when I was, when I was in Hong Kong, I, uh, I had this project of uh, writing a blog post like every week uh -huh. so for I was there for about 30 weeks uh -huh. and then I wrote I don't know like 35 or 40 blog posts Holy shit. so they're like stories and uh, tips photos videos nice and uh, yeah everything's in my blog but some highlights were like uh, the first uh, traveling to like going back to Conchao going to Shanghai Shenzhen Macau Holy uh, shit, how was Macau? Uh, Macau was pretty fun. <laughs> we were there for like one day and we yeah, we went to casinos to eat of course like the the Portuguese egg tart. Yeah, yeah. Which is like the most popular thing there besides That's, like curry. Okay. okay, so what came first? The the Asian egg tart or the Portuguese egg tart? I don't actually know. Because when I was in Portugal, they had it, and I was like, they they have these in Chinatown too in America. But who was first? I don't know. How feel, can how can we find out? <laughs> I feel like Google might be a best answer, but uh, let me tr like guess. I think it was the f like the Chinese actor, and then the Portuguese adopted it. Adopted it and did something. They put a lot of sugar in it. Yeah, sugar, and then it's they flaky. Yeah, like you know, creme brulee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little burnt. Yeah. Yeah, I really that like was my tarts. guess. That uh, was my guess, <laughs> but I don't know. But yeah, continue. Uh, so, uh, besides those four places, oh, oh, Macau. It was crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. It was like amazing because, uh, for uh, every city or country that I that I travel to, I try to 
eat a lot and then go party so i know what how the environment is compared to like us or uh, venezuela and then macau was surprisingly very good mm. because parties didn't end up until like six seven and it's then, known for its partying yeah and yeah. then casinos yeah yeah. I mean, yeah a lot of chinese people go there for like casino mm-hmm. yeah it was really fun we party from like 10 until 6 a.m and then sounds yeah. good yeah and the me- the best part is like having your all your friends in one place and you 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 can just like hey let's go to macau from hong kong to macau it's like an hour taking a boat yeah so yeah, and is it expensive in macau or it can be expensive but i don't know if it's overall expensive if you're going from like a european or the us it's not as expensive okay yeah so if i a pretty much broke person went to macau would i be able to survive i'm not i have i have like some savings but yeah you can definitely survive okay if that's your intention it's uh, pretty doable anywhere as long as you <laughs> okay. find uh, the tricks yeah i basically am i basically am doing that right now yeah. in san francisco i don't pay rent so there's that um and it's the most expensive city in this in one of the most expensive cities in the country if not the most expensive so yeah it's the most expensive in the, in the country Jeez. it just uh, passed like new york Jeez, how did I end up here? <laughs> <laughs> like, why? <laughs> like, why did I end up here? Anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. But what else? Uh, after those uh, four cities, mm-hmm. I also went to like uh, to Koh Phi Phi, uh, Phuket, and okay. Bangkok in Thailand. And Koh Phi Phi is like party every day, every night. There were so many like the environment is really good for partying and like nightlife mm-hmm. then after uh, coffee pee and Phuket I went to Bangkok because of like a, because of backpacking yeah so the first semester finished and then some friends and I decided to go back backpacking around Southeast Asia and it's summer there right no it was uh, around December so it was but it's on it's in the is it in the southern hemisphere so it is summer. yeah yeah so it's uh, it's not as like summer it's just like in between so okay. if you are i'm not pretty familiar with like celsius i mean fahrenheit uh, oh okay uh, no, 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 but it's okay but celsius it was like so it's a transition to 20 which is comparable to like let me guess uh, 60 to like 75 uh, fahrenheit okay so it's pretty chill so like it is here right now maybe a little warmer a little warmer than it is here right now yeah well it's, compared to San Francisco, you never know. Like today, okay, it's fuck warm. it. I don't actually know. We can ignore that. We can ignore the, 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 the relationship. That's stupid. That's a stupid thing to do. But yeah, that's yeah, cool. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think traveling is just a, such a great thing. Yeah, it I need to go. I need to go to Asia. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but I did that, but in Europe. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still need to go do the Europe backpacking thing. Yeah, I need to go to the other side. Let's just switch. Yeah. Oh, I should. When I go, I'll find you and <laughs> like, hey, give me some tips or. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You can go on my website. That's funboatdiplomacy.com, By the way, what's your uh, what's your blog? Uh, my blog is uh, Richard Chang with all, all the vowels, so it will be R C 
H R D C H N dot com. Okay, yeah. Wait. Is it okay if we put that on the show notes so people can go to that if they want to? Yeah, you can actually put it. That's my like brand. Oh I, yeah. Yeah, my Twitter, my Instagram, my uh, Google Plus, everything is uh, the same. Cool. Uh, the same username. All right. Yeah. So. I think um, well, traveling. You want to talk about it? <laughs> what about it? Uh, well, it's just. Uh, a great thing like it opens your mind your your point of view to the war mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people are missing out from from that kind of experience because mm-hmm. they always uh, put it like Bubble. Yeah, yeah like a lot of uh, people in the Bay Area or the US are not as open uh, to new experiences just because they are in this bubble that everything is great here why should I go here like why should I go to Asia to see some like third world countries or stuff that are pretty bad there but I think every experience that you go here Europe South America or um, Asia even uh, even if you you just go to Canada (laughs) well I don't think so (laughs) not as much but it's still it's still uh, they do things really differently yeah some things really differently and uh, and you for understand example, people better. Yeah, for example, there's a lot of uh, they they just feel more at home in in nature. Mm-hmm. I think that's an that's an assumption, but they have a lot more nature as opposed to we have like a lot of uh, cities and things. But they're more with cool with nature and cold. Yeah. So if you're from Los Angeles and you go to Canada in the winter, you will learn some things. <laughs> <laughs> you will learn a lot. Of yeah, you will learn some things. The cold can teach you a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we can go back to my life story and that's travel had, uh, ruined my, uh, my path, you know, it took me on a completely different path. It would have been fun, fun to see you like in the, like working in the government government Uh, job. No, um, I don't know how that would have, it would have been comparable to, I I sometimes think about if I had, if my family never left Taiwan. And I would have been, you know how education in Asia, I know in Taiwan, you go to school really early in the morning, you go all the way through the afternoon, and then you go to um, cram school, mm-hmm. and you, you go and, and do more schooling afterwards until like 10, maybe even midnight. I, I'm, I, I, it's sometimes scary to think about how depressed I would have been if I had to do that, because I'm... I'm a lazy fuck, and I can't, I can't sit and pay attention to to schoolwork for that long. I, I like to just be with my own thoughts. That's why I like to do dishes and mundane things because I can, I can just not have to focus much. on math. I just hate math, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what would be the focus of of school in in Asia. But it's scary to think um, that that would have been my fate, and that sounds like. The government working for the government mm-hmm. would would be something similar, mm-hmm. and that's um, for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah, and worrying worrying and... about money, worrying about paying rent in Washington D.C., which is also really high. Mm-hmm. Not for me. See, and that that goes back to like you can connect the dots with like traveling and traveling opens your mind and like, learning about yeah, learning yeah. what you don't want to do yeah. or. What you do and don't want to do. Yeah. What you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah. there's a lot of traveling. So I'm going back to Asia in like three weeks. Oh yeah, where? I'm I'm hitting Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, and Taiwan. Hell yeah. So <laughs> Taipei <those> or <laughs> Taipei. Are you traveling around it or not? No, just in Taipei. I'm going there for for four days. Okay. So, uh, because it's a city in a country I haven't been to. Okay. So after this Asian trip, I'm planning to go to Europe sometime next year, hopefully. Okay. And then do some backpacking. Okay. But so you're going in three weeks for how long? For a month. A month. Yeah. Okay. So you'll be back in like January. Yeah, mid January. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to end the podcast here. It's we're hitting our time. But I think when you come back, we should do another episode. Yeah, we can talk more so about we'll, traveling. We'll learn, about, we'll learn about your travels, and it'll be really, really cool. Yeah, that'll be pretty fun. And I'll be uh, blogging every week. Hell about... yeah. And then we have the we have the website. Gonna, the link's going to be on the show notes. You guys can all check out Richard's blog. And... It'll be great. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me here. Yeah. Thanks for being on. It was really fun. And we'll do it when you come back. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Richard Chan for being on the podcast. And thank you all for listening to this episode. As the holidays roll around and you start to get gifts for friends and loved ones, please, if you use Amazon, go to my website, funbookdiplomacy.com, and use the link to my Amazon portal that's just on the right side of all of my pages. Just click on the link. Uh, shop as you normally would and Amazon will share a small cut from your total with me to keep Funboat Diplomacy up and running. Thanks everyone again and tune in next week to Funboat Diplomacy.